0: Say you're a professional landscaper. You're not just tough. You're professional grade. And so are your tools. Because you got best-in-class Echo X-Series products. You got a perfect balance of power, weight, and performance from a professional-grade 56-volt battery system. Max out battery tech that gives 100% power till a 0% charge. Echo X-Series means best-in-class tools for best-in-class pros. So when we say Echo is professional grade, we mean it. Echo. Power on and on. From BBC Science Focus, this is Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Daniel Bennett, the magazine's editor, and today we're taking a look at the world of forensic botany. The study of our plants can help catch criminals. I'm joined by David Gibson. Professor of Plant Biology at Southern Illinois University. Davis' new book, Planting Clues, How Plants Solve Crimes, traces the rich history of botanists being called in to use their skills to help connect suspects to a crime scene or a place of interest. Before we dive in, I think it's worth a quick warning that this is a discussion of forensics and of crime scenes. So there will be talk of death and identifying the dead in what follows. To kick things off, though, here's David explaining why plants are so useful when it comes to investigations.
1: It's like any it's, it's a part of the, the bigger picture for solving crimes. Um, and so plants, evidence can, can help. Uh, but they're useful because they, they really encompass quite a broad spectrum of, of sizes and scales. You know, big pieces of plants can be important, like smuggling of, a, of a wood or something, down to pieces of leaves can be important, down to uh, parts of plants that no one can see with the naked eye, pollen, spores, and, and tiny little diatoms, little algae, um, that a criminal have no idea that they're transporting or carrying on their body or on or in the mud on their shoes. Evidence that they just would have no no idea that the, that is going to incriminate them and link them to a crime scene. So plants are really quite useful uh, across a whole range of spectrum.
0: Yeah, it definitely struck me that <laughs> in a, a lot of the cases that you talk about, and we'll get we'll get to the some some of those in a moment. Um, it it sort of feels that like you can't escape plant matter <laughs> in one way or another. Is that is that true?
1: I think it is true. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, every time we we walk out in the woods or uh, out into our garden, we're going to get a little bit of mud on our shoes and that mud is going to contain perhaps some plant seeds, some bits of leaves, um, things we can see. Uh, But it's also going to contain pollen. Um, Just walking around, we're going to get pollen up our nose. We're going to get pollen on our eyebrows, in our hairline. And those are all Sorts of evidence that can uh, be uh, extracted from uh, either a suspect or from a body. And so, yeah, some of these plant fragments and pieces are ubiquitous in the environment. And they're, they're, they're everywhere.
0: Mm, and one of the examples in the book that really struck me was the diatoms. Yes. Uh, they can even be inside you, in in your bones. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's the, the diatom drowning idea that um when a body drowns in water those last gasps of breath are so powerful trying to get something some air into into the lungs that um the water gets through the the alveoli in the lungs the fine capillaries and into the into the bloodstream and the heart is still beating and so it's transporting blood around the body and so these diatoms which are tiny can actually pass through into the blood and they'll end up in the major, in the major organs like liver and end up in, in the bone marrow. And so if you find, if a, if a coroner in an autopsy finds diatoms in the bone marrow, the only way that those diatoms could have got there is if the body was drowned. That's different to if a body was already dead and dumped in the water. And that's an important thing to know when you find a body in water.
0: Yeah. yeah, Whether they were, uh, yeah, dumped there or um, sort of held there, I guess. Yeah. Um. And so, how how common? Again, so again, because because the 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 sort of the range of cases in the book is so uh, hugely varied. Um. How do you? How does? You know, Bostonists are called in as expert witnesses in a, in a number of cases. Is it something that is taught, or is it something that? is actually quite young and, and people are kind of you know um you give lots of examples of different experiments that have to be done once uh, expert witnesses are called in how, how common is forensic botany these days
1: well my understanding is it's not as common as it might be implied by the plethora of cases that i talk about um my understanding from talking to crime scene investigators is that uh, they normally don't think about the plants and they're not trained in plants so i think in m- most cases uh, this is a sort of evidence that's over, maybe overlooked right now if something is, is noticed or seen or they're perhaps trying really hard to find find some key evidence uh, they'll then have to find a botanist basically and and to, to look at look at the evidence now some people like uh, mark spencer and patricia wiltshire a couple of british forensic botanists uh, have been through their career called in to cases and from what i understand from reading their work you know that they get somewhat routinely called in by um when the police realize that there's there's a value in in some botanical evidence
0: so i want to go into some of the the examples in in the book um but i thought first it might be worth um discussing the, the idea of the the four-way linkage theory mm-hmm. um which you explained very well in the book can you just explain what that is and and how sort of uh a forensic botanist sort of fits into that uh idea
1: yes yeah, so well the idea between that linkage theory is that you're trying to use evidence to link uh, a suspect and a body to a crime scene so if you can use evidence botanical evidence in this case to show that a a suspect was at the crime scene or with the body then you've got these links and so that's that's simply the idea of linking bodies to suspects to crime scenes using evidence and that's where botanical evidence can come into play
0: and that's that's um that's so in one of the examples that was used to sort of rule out uh a very famous person ted bundy uh as being in a certain location which i've sort of found quite fascinating because it's uh if you could sort of give us that example um it's such a it's such a small detail
1: to it, look it at. is what yeah that away. that was a case where some some markings and be put on a tree that suggested that it was um related to the kind of the the, the the number of the body or the the, the, the person that had been killed, and it was a, in a location where where Bundy had been active, where he they knew he may have buried some bodies and so forth. And uh, so they actually asked him, you know, did you did you do this? And he said he apparently used to talk in the third person, but he said no, Bundy wasn't there or something. Um, but they looked at the they looked at the tree, and when when trees get damaged. The bark will regrow. And uh, if it's a superficial damage, then um, it it doesn't grow as much as it is a deep cut. And so, in this particular case, they will be able to look at the amount, the extent of regrowth, and work backwards to find, to work out when that damage occurred. And it turned out that Bundy really wasn't there. I think he was in Florida at the time. And so, he was telling the truth for it in this case, <laughs> that he actually wasn't there. And so it was some, someone else It was either unrelated or, or some prank, but now he got caught with some other botanical evidence that did catch him.
0: Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: So that was, um, when they finally caught him, I think it was maybe his last crime they, they caught him for, uh, you know, he had a, he had a rental vehicle and, um, they, they found soil and plant materials caught up in the undercarriage of the vehicle and when they looked at that they were able to match the the vegetation to the um where they uh found the body so that linked him um to the crime scene
0: so so when i read that i did <laughs> how how do you go about doing that how, how, how would you match vegetation in a sample like that because obviously to uh, you know someone like myself they, they would look very similar I imagine um how, how does the botanist identify start breaking down and, and analyzing you know the two samples
1: yeah well so I think in this case it was some leaves and so you have to you know take the the fragments that you might find that caught up in the undercarriage of the car and and, and if the pieces of leaves you'd take them back into the lab you'd um perhaps wash them carefully so you can look at the pieces and fragments. And if they're not something that's obvious, or even if they are, you would make a comparison match. So botanists have um, herbaria uh, that are collections of dry plant materials mm-hmm. that are reference samples. Right. So so Kew Gardens has one of the largest and most complete ones in the world. And so you, you can take your sample and you can match it up against these knowns. And you might have to look at microscopic characters. For leaves, you'd be looking at hairs on the leaves and the the size of the cells, perhaps, the shape of the leaves, the lobing of the leaves, a lot of different features you'd look at. And it may take some time um, uh, to work out what what uh different species you have so you may have like you know four or five different leaf fragments representing two or three different species and then you'd say okay well um you know this this collection of species um was also present at the crime scene but not okay. perhaps at the place where the person was living or, or claimed to be
0: and so is, is it a is it a again it, forgive my naivety but is it is it a brute force sort of task or are there very uh are there significant uh, structures that you can look for that will put you in the right um the right branch of the sort of the tree of life to 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 understand what you're
1: looking at um, yes there are and and it, it... Sort of depends upon what sort of material you're looking at. If you're looking at pollen or leaf fragments or seeds, you know, there'd be different sorts right. of characters right. that you'd look at and so forth. But, uh, you know, certain plant families or plant groups have very characteristic features of them. I mean, you know, you probably recognize an oak leaf fairly obviously. Right. And, and mm-hmm. so that would, you see that and you see that kind of the lobing on the leaf, the waviness on the outside. And that would probably right away, you could probably say, Oh, I've got an oak of some sort. And then you've got to get down to what sort of oak is it? In Britain, you've maybe only got two different sorts of oak, native ones. In southern Illinois, where I am, there are 19 or so different species of oaks. And so it can get kind of tricky. Um, And that's when you have to look into into details. And there are are books, and there's the herbaria, and um, for other sorts of plant materials, like wood, for example, uh, they developed uh, computer databases and machine learning techniques uh, that can help speed up some of these things once those the, the, the right characters are looked at and kind of coded and keyed into the system.
0: Of course. Um And then I, w- I want to just jump to another example too. So, uh, it's not just sort of what you step on or what lands on you. It's uh, also what's inside you, mm, uh, yes. what you've eaten. Um, there's a fantastic example of how a scientist was able to, to sort of figure out what a victim is eaten. Could you just tell us about how? how Yes. Uh,
1: So, yes. So this is a a, um, a botanist called Jane Bock, Emeritus Professor at the University of Colorado. And she kind of pioneered this approach where um, you might want to know what – it might be useful to know what someone had eaten the last meal because that could help tell you where they've been. And so – Basically, what they do is is, uh, when you've got a body, you you take some material out of the intestine or the the stomach and and look at it and see what plants are. And it turns out that when uh, when, um, someone dies, the, the stomach valves shut, and so nothing more escapes. So that's useful, because then what's in the stomach at the time of death is, you've got a, a kind of a timing because we we know roughly how long things stay in the stomach after you've eaten something, a couple of three hours. So if you find it in the stomach, that means they probably ate it two or three hours ago. Right. So basically, what she what she did when she started this was, um, you know, take. Well, she was first of all given slides. She didn't want to touch the stuff, but <laughs> apparently she. Uh, <laughs> But I think she developed some tolerance towards this. But but anyway, you just you take the plant fragments that you extract from this this, this material collected from the stomach. This kind of a solution slurry sort of thing, and uh, you kind of wash it up and put it on some some microscope slides or on a petri dish and look at under a microscope. And the same sort of thing. You've got fragments now, and you have to identify them. So and you're
0: isolating the, what you believe of plant fragments.
1: Yes. Yes. And then you can. It's pretty obvious if it's a plant fragment versus uh, a beetle leaf or something else, you know, so you can you can tell that fairly routinely. And for plants that we eat, we don't eat a great deal of different sorts of plants. Uh, there's about 60 or 70 or so different sorts of plants that are, are likely to be in, in our diet, and mm-hmm. most people eat far fewer than that. So you can narrow it down fairly quickly, and then it's a question of looking to see. In, in the cases that she looked at, is it, is it lettuce or, or or pepper or olive or something like that? And it could be seeds, it could be leaf fragments, depending upon the sort of plant.
0: And and did she? Am I not Saying she uh, to sort of gather evidence, she chewed a lot of food herself.
1: <laughs> yeah, the and... beginning. the that's <laughs> right. There was no database, and so uh, she wanted to kind of her reference samples to look like what it could be that she was looking at. Yeah. And so she literally would take a piece of lettuce, chew it, I don't know, 32 times, you know, like your grandmother always to tell you and <laughs> and then spit it out and, and look at it. And so she did that with a variety of different things uh, to build up a database and eventually published a, a, a manual that had uh, uh, electron microscope images of <laughs> plant materials. I don't know if the, the ones that she had eaten or not but uh, that was the idea
0: <laughs> as as chained by jane Park. <laughs> yeah.
1: um
0: and then to go down even uh further you talk about how sort of uh we can even identify sort of plant genes in mm. in cases could you just give us an, an example of there how that that can be used to sort of help sol- solve a case
1: yeah, the first case of that was called the Maricopa case, place in Maricopa County in Arizona. That's where Phoenix is. And this is a case mm-hmm. where there, there was a, 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 a rape and a murder, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a suspect um, from some other evidence. And they found in the, the back of his pickup truck some seed pods of a, of a tree. And it's a fairly common tree, but there was several of these trees growing around where they found the body. That didn't help him too much because that tree grows elsewhere as well, and because he was saying, "You oh, know, I wasn't there." You know, uh, at least at first. Um, so um, this is a time when they were starting to use uh, genetic evidence in, from humans, but they hadn't done it for plants before. So they, they pretty much just uh, used the same methods that were being developed for for human forensic cases, mm-hmm. and took these seeds and they they extracted the the genes, and they matched the genes of of from those seeds to the plant that was right by the body. So it was a it wasn't just the species, but the individual within the species that matched up, and so that put his pickup truck at the crime scene. That linkage we talked about before, based upon the genetic material, and so now that's something that can be can be re- routinely used um, in, in other cases.
0: And can you can you is it just seeds you can do that with? Can you do that with kind of a variety of plant matter like pollen mm-hmm. you talked about before? You can try and
1: yeah, yes, yeah, so you could do it with plant fragments, leaves, pieces of wood, seeds, and so forth. Um, pollen, I'm not so sure about that because um, so you tend you, <laughs> well it travels, and you also tend to get um, uh, different species in the mix. You'd have to extract a single pollen grain that could be could be trickier um but uh uh, i wouldn't be surprised if they're working out how to do that as well
0: and so were there were there any cases in particular there's you know they're plentiful in the book but that really is either your favorite one to teach or that really (laughs) stuck with you
1: well the one we've already mentioned that uh, i always like to tell people about is the diatom drowning case (laughs) where they, they pulled a body out of the hudson river in new york and um this is a case where um, they got a suspect from other evidence fairly quickly. And, of course, you know, I wasn't there sort of thing. Um, but they wanted to know if she'd actually drowned. It turned out what, what the suspect had done is that he had drugged his his wife or partner and threw her in the, in the river. But she kind of woke up. <laughs> he didn't give her enough drugs. So then he went in and held her down. And ultimately, she died from the drowning. And they used the diatoms to, to show that and to show that she'd been drowned. But also, the diatoms were on other um, materials that they found, um, like a wallet or some other, and some oh. jewelry from that matched the diatom, the species of diatoms that were in the river as well. So that's that's a, a good case because you know, people always are interested in the, the drowning aspect. Um,
0: if so, If someone was listening to this and they wanted to start to understand the the sort of, uh, botanical world a little better wh- where would you suggest starting or how would you suggest beginning
1: well just start walking around outside and looking at plants It'd be the obvious thing to do and um that you know the, in in britain there's a great history of of naturalists and botanists and botanical societies and so forth uh, that people could be still become members of and. Um, there is a lot of books that you can use, wildflower guides to help identify plants. But these days, there's, there's um, phone apps that are, 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 are getting really good. There's one called iNaturalist that is is really good, and you just literally take your phone and you turn on the camera and you point it at the plant and take a picture, and then it, it uploads that picture into, and, and looks on its database and gives you suggestions as to what the name of that plant is, and it once you um, put it on the, the database then other people can look at that that picture image and say see if they agree or disagree with you oh, okay and so you get and so that's kind of fun uh, to use that
0: and do you i sensed in the book you, you i mean you have a sex segment where uh you talk about some of your pro, your, your past professors who might have <laughs> got, scolded you for using the,
1: books absolutely <laughs> yes yeah. yeah, my my PhD advisor in Bangor, where I did my PhD, he yeah. he wouldn't let us use books with pictures in, yeah. <laughs> let alone a computer app. Of course, they didn't exist then. But he was very much old school. You had to have your little hand lens that you used, and, and your, your flora, it's called, that's a book with descriptions and keys to identify the plants. And woe and behold, any student that was caught using a, a picture book.
0: And- was there some benefit to that? What was he trying to sort of impart?
1: Well, he, he's right, of course, but, uh, you know, pictures uh, and even seek the Seek, the, the iNaturalist app and stuff like that, you can get it wrong because a lot of a lot of different species are, the, the difference between some species is incredibly right. difficult and you, you need right. to do in great depth to work out one species versus another. I mean, you, know, you can tell a rose, but how many different sort of roses are there? You look at all the cultivars that you can buy and, and, and telling them apart. Um, so it takes a, a great deal of knowledge to correctly identify and be sure that you've, you really know the name of something. And that can be really important in, in forensic cases to get mm-hmm. the name right. Um, so yeah, a, a botanist would not rely on a phone app or a, a picture book. So yeah, you, so you can get down to the the general group of plants fairly readily and and fairly accurately with these these other these apps and, and picture books and so forth. But when you want to know exactly what sort of rose is, for example, then we use a, a flora is the name of the sort of book we use, and that'll have uh, a, a key, a dichotomous key. Is is it got this structure or that structure, or, or are the leaves this length or that length, or right certain structures this size or that size and you get down to a name and then and then you have to look at a description that's going to be like a paragraph long and your know, very detailed information about a whole range of structures um, the flowers the seeds the height of the plant the leaves and and m- sometimes almost microscopic characters uh, that, that you at the very least need to handle in is to work out at that level of detail
0: so just just lastly, how, how old is forensic botany as a discipline?
1: I'd just say that it, it's not a totally new subject. And I, I do talk about this with Edmond Lockard, who was a French mm. uh, police investigator back in the 1920s, who was really the first person to start using plants. And he talked about les poissons organiques. Sorry about my French, but his, um, organic particles. And he was using them to, to help solve crimes back in the 20s. And, and, and he had a, a, a laboratory in Lyon, in France, uh, which is the first sort of forensic lab, maybe even in the world, um, that he developed. Um, and just an example, one case where they, they found a body uh, on the countryside somewhere. And the local gendarmes had like trampled all around it and destroyed, you know, and everything. Uh, but they, they brought in some vagrants that might be suspects. And he noticed on one of them a seed up on the jacket, caught up on the jacket of, of one of these suspects. And uh, he he knew or he went back and found out that he um, identified that seed. First, he thought it was a common dandelion. Hmm. That was his first thought. But then he looked at it in more detail, looked at these detailed structures and realized it was quite a rare plant that was related to dandelions and went back and found there it was growing right next to where the body was found. Right. So that single seed provided the link from this suspect to the location where the body was found. And that, so I thought that was a, that's a really fascinating case in in a, in a time when, you didn't have the the high powered microscopes that we have t- today or DNA evidence. Just just literally working out what that seed was, what plant species it happened to be, helped solve the crime. <laughs>
0: was Professor David Gibson there talking about one of the earliest recorded cases of a detective using botany to inform their investigation. If you'd like to find out more about the pursuit of forensic botany, do check out David's book, Planting Clues, How Plants Solve Crimes. It's on sale now and published by Oxford University Press. Thank you for listening. The Instant Genius Podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively, do please come find us online at sciencefocus.com.